Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. So, as you may or may not have heard, my book is available for pre-order. It's called The D Word, Making the Ultimate Decision About Your Marriage, and it will be released on December 26th, just in time for everyone to have gotten through the holidays and then trying to kind of figure out what comes next. So, this book is... Uh, the definitive yet accessible guide for everyone who wants to take control of their lives, either by ending or repairing their marriage. It is written in my, you know, my signature straight talk. (laughs) It's, you know, it's more than just a practical handbook for those considering divorce. It's also, it reveals how cultural and social influences negatively affect our relationships and our expectations And how the odds are really stacked against us as women. And so I really, really hope that you will pre-order it. It is available for pre-order in a lot of different places. So, um, and we will have some pre-order bonuses available coming soon. So if you order it, just keep your receipt. And um, we will, uh, I'll be telling you about that fairly soon. Just to be perfectly transparent. Pre-orders really matter in terms of sort of book promotions and and how they how it gets sort of surfaced and seen and all of that. So like the first couple of weeks is really the most important pre-orders plus the first couple of weeks um, after a book launches are the most important in the publishing industry. So the more pre-orders I have, the better this goes for um, for me, <laughs> but really for you too. So a word of caution, of course, if you share an Amazon account with somebody, you obviously want to be cautious and maybe order it on a different platform. You can order it on Google, um, bookshop.org. You can pre-order it on uh, Books A Million. You can get yourself a prepaid Visa gift card at the grocery store and use that to purchase it so that it doesn't show up on your credit card statement, things like that. I want you guys to be safe. I want you to be careful. There will be Uh, an audio version, obviously, but not yet. So you can't really pre-order an audio version, but when that's available, I will of course let you know. I want you to pre-order it, but I also want you to do it safely. So there you have it. That's what's happening over here. And now I want to tell you about today's episode, which is really great. So today I have with me Barry Tesler. She's a financial therapist and the founder of The Art of Money, which is a year-long money school 
and a mentor program for therapists, coaches, and financial professionals. Barry trained as a somatic therapist, and she received her master's degree from Naropa University in 1998. And she then ran a bookkeeping business for therapists and artists. In 2001, she merged all of her training and created a somatic-based financial therapy methodology that she has been teaching for over 20 years. She's the author of the book, The Art of Money, A Life-Changing Guide for Financial Happiness and The Art of Money Workbook. Um, Her work has been featured on Oprah, Inc., Magazine, U.S. News and World Report, Reuters, Fiscal Times, I mean, everywhere. (laughs) She is phenomenal. So please hang out and listen to this conversation with Barry Tesler. It's a conversation about money from a perspective that is very unique and super important, especially for all of you who may be sort of restarting their financial journey right now. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Barry Tesler. Barry, thank you so much for coming on and talking about all of this really important money stuff. That's the technical term for it. Having me, Kate, I can interpret. That's part (laughs) of my job. So I know what that means. All good. I'm very happy to be here. So let's just start with the, I think the most important or clarifying question, what is a money therapist? I call it a financial therapist. Hmm, okay. Um, but I have, I have lots of colleagues that call themselves money coaches, financial coaches, money therapists, financial behaviorists, right? I've been calling myself a financial therapist since two, 2001. I was one of the very first people to be using that term. And I can't take credit. It was my husband. He, I shared my whole methodology with him one day on, in the small cabin that we were living in big white paper. And he said, oh, you're doing financial therapy. And I looked at him like, what did you just say? He's a brilliant nature. <clears throat> so for me, financial, a financial therapist, uh, there's now a whole financial therapy association that was created in 2010. So they define it a little differently than I do. For me, it's an intersection of emotional literacy and financial literacy. That's one simple way of saying it. It is simply looking at your relationship to money and all that it touches and understanding what are the money emotions or what are the set of emotions that come up for you around money? What is your money story? How is that formed? So it's really trying to understand what is your money story? What are your money emotions? How do you work with them? How do you do some money healing work? And then I love to get into the practical parts as well. So I love bookkeeping systems and tracking systems. And as a therapist and dancer, I really surprised the hell out of myself that I fell in love with these things. And so it's, you know, I have money healing. For me, my financial therapy methodology includes money healing, money practices, and money maps. So that's what I teach in my books. That's what I teach in my year-long program. So it's a lot of the money healing, the money emotions, the the money story work, which we'll talk all about, how to work with those emotions, and then all these practical things, how to set up a self-care practice with money dates and tracking and all of that and adding in your values. And then how do you make good money decisions? And how do you create what people call a budget or I call a money map or spending plan? So... To come back to, it's an integration of emotional literacy and financial literacy, which are two huge areas that we were simply not taught. 
growing up in small increments, which we really need to be. And so I'm just teaching people how to have a healthy and savvy and creative relationship to money. <laughs> and when you talk about it to me, it's so interesting. Like the experience that I have in listening to you say all of that. And I know that you're a somatic psychotherapist as well. So I'm having like a very somatic experience with it where I'm feeling like <laughs> lulled and almost like everything you said was almost like a meditation which for me is a completely antithetical experience to what I normally have when I think or talk about money. <laughs> yes. It's so fascinating. Yeah. So it, it, are you having a response like, I'm about to fall asleep or, oh, this is making me feel more gentle or compassionate with myself or I don't want to hear any of that <laughs> compassion or stuff like give me the tough love <laughs> stuff that I'm used to mm -hmm. what's mm -hmm. happening as I'm just starting to describe it what's happening yeah. for you yeah it's so interesting and for me it was very like I, it became like a just like a meditation like talking thinking about money as this first of all deeply personal experience right it's not a thing it is an experience that we all mm -hmm. have and you talk about how most of us were not taught how to be in relationship with our money. Yeah. I guess should, let's start with the money story. Let me back up. Let me. Can okay. I, yes. I want to just. Oh my God. What you're, so one, you're calling it like it's an experience. And I always say it's a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So though, it's one of the relationships that we need to know is important to look at. And I always, the metaphor I use, it's like a garden. We don't want to overwater it, but we usually underwater it, but it needs care and attention. And I never thought this would be my topic, right? So I, in my 20s, I trained as a therapist, as a somatic, as a body-centered psychotherapist all through my 20s. My favorite topics were sexuality, intimacy, grief, death, body, food, all of those. And then my student loan came due. And all of a sudden, I look back on my training as a therapist and I realized, how did we not talk about money? This is crazy. This is crazy. How could this be left out of my training as a therapist so that I don't even can't even explore my own money story emotions, let alone how do I work with my couples when they're fighting about money and, and help them to get to the deeper layers of that, which we'll talk about. And then how do I start a practice? So it was such a missing piece from my education as a therapist. And then it was like, oh, I didn't get this in undergrad. And oh, I didn't get this in high school. And oh, I got bits and from my parents who were entrepreneurs, but they, my father was definitely passing on more financial advice to my much younger brother than me oh, as the uh -huh. oldest. Uh, of course. I just really never thought this would be my topic. But when I finally said, either I'm going to run away from this and not pay back my student loan, or I'm going to face it, and I'm going to challenge myself to face it, the first thing that I did learn was bookkeeping. And it, you know, really, as I said, surprised me because I was really, af I was afraid of money. I didn't do well at math growing up. So if I can't do math, I can't do money. And I had such big emotions that would come up that I almost couldn't like just have a conversation or I would throw away my bank statements. So this is not, this is not a story to say, oh, I was terrible with money and now I'm great. It's a lifelong journey and we'll be continuing forever. But when the last piece I'm going to say is when I started looking around at other money management books and financial management stuff, it was all tough love. It was from a guy telling me there's one way to do money. There's an don't bring your intuition in because there's only one way and there's a right way and a wrong way and never go into debt and always live within your means. And this is how this is how you do it. And I just thought 
wow, that does not work for me on any level. And so how can I create a, a, a relationship to money that was healthy and creative and savvy for me? And then, yeah, I looked around at everyone around me, realizing that everyone has strengths around money and challenges, no matter what income level or family background you come from. And yes, I did when I was in graduate school, this is the last piece. I brought all of the meditation and mindfulness tools that we were being steeped in and trained in because Naropa University integrates Eastern and Western philosophy into their teaching. So my training was very experiential. When I do bookkeeping, I light a candle and I get out the chocolate and I get out my essential oils. That may be so weird for one person and for someone else, or that is the only way you're going to get me to sit down and look at my numbers and have a bookkeeping system. So I have imbued my entire methodology with all of these mindfulness practices and creative practices that make it more deeply meaningful, but also can make it more playful and enjoyable. So that leads us to this is a relationship. And we're trying to figure out what did I learn about this relationship? Oh, was it money doesn't grow in trees or money's the root of all evil or we're not supposed to talk about money outside of the family on and on. So what is your relationship? And really, what are the challenges? But what are your strengths? So most women come to me and they want to tell me everything that's wrong about their relationship to money. There is shame. I'll just name the emotions, right? That come up really for everyone, right? It's the same set of emotions that come up in every other area of life. Shame, anger, anxiety, guilt, sadness. The other side of the spectrum is hope, excitement, joy, and then everyone between, fight, flight, freeze, all of it. I'll get to the first money tool that I always give to people, but most people come in saying they're stuck on the student debt loan or they're stuck on the debt or they're stuck. They're really holding on to one part of the relationship to money that's really painful for them or a, stake, a mistake was made. And we all have mistakes around money. We really do. And who we are now is different than who we were five years ago, 10 years ago. Mistake could be I didn't read the prenuptial agreement, or I would have. I now who I am now. I I know how to value myself. At the time, I didn't, and I didn't read it. Or mistakes can happen. We all make money mistakes. We all make financial mistakes, right? And that's something that we just have to know it's going to happen, and we need to learn from them and do it differently as we move forward and be kind and gentle to ourselves. But when people first come, especially women, they want to tell me what's wrong. And I always want to say, what are you doing around money? And it could be small little things. You know, I once worked with a single mom and she said, what am I doing? I tip well. And she said, and I raised my son. He's in his 20s now and he's a wonderful young man. And I did that as a single mom. And all she could focus, though, was the IRS debt that she had. But there are all these other things that she was doing. So I just wanted to say, like, when a lot of people come in, they're focusing on the negativity. And yes, there's lots of things we haven't learned or we don't know about money. But there's usually a few things that we are doing well that we need to claim for ourselves. Okay. Now we can move into money emotions if you want, but I want, I'm just going to pause yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that's great. And I, one of the things 
that I worked on cultivating many years ago with money was a sense of just gratitude, right? Even when it was, I was an actor for many years, so I get residuals for 26 cents. At times of like really big financial struggle, I learned to open those checks and say, thank you. And to have gratitude and cultivate an, an attitude of gratitude for every tiny, any penny, right? Whether it was $5,000 or 26 cents to thank my money for coming to me, <laughs> right? To, to, for being there, for taking care of me. I think it's so important to have gratitude and celebration in our money relationship. It's not always the first one I go to. I'll, I want to say the first one I go to, but this is so important. So whenever I'm working with someone and they take one money step. They check off one to-do on their to-do money list during a money date. And a money date is just, hey, money, what is one next step you need me to take today? You can light your candle if you want, get out your mocha or your water, play some music, and look at your to-do list and you do one thing. It could be calling a new accountant. It could be getting a new financial planner separate from your family's financial planner or your ex spouse's financial planner, you get your own. That's a big deal. So at the end of that, I want you to celebrate that. I really want you to celebrate that. And I teach many side concepts in addition to my method. And one of them is being aware that there are ebbs and flows in life. And guess what? There's ebbs and flows with money too. It's similar to all the same set of emotions that come up in every area of life come up around money. Some of the, sometimes these things have surprised me over the years, like ebbs and flows are around money too. Oy, yes, they are. And right, it's nicer when we're in a flow, but guess what? In a long life, we're gonna have ebbs too. We're gonna have dips. And so yes, how do, maybe in those moments, how do we have gratitude for even though we're in an ebb? And this is a transition. We're not gonna stay here forever. And can I appreciate just where I am? There's always more in the horizon. There's always goals to get to. There's always more income to get to. But some years we're earning more and saving more. And some years we're just living in maintenance. And some years we're dipping and we're dipping low, right? I like to hold that a lot and to really hold. Sometimes we're in a big life transition. And in those, if, if you ever had a money practice before a big life transition, usually those get all thrown up in the air and you got to start again. So whether it is a divorce or a death or, right, or a new baby or, right, then you, you're going through a transition and all your money systems, if you had some and they were working, they're probably not going to work anymore. They're going to change and you have to start again. And that's just okay. So please know that. Mm -hmm. Please know that. Yeah. So can I, I want to share the first money tool that I yes, do? Yes, I would love that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so um, because you would think, oh, we go right to bookkeeping and look at our numbers. And as I said, I love all that, but I don't go there first, right? I go there for, I go to body check-ins first. And as a somatic psychotherapist, of course, I go to body check-ins first. And it's just a way to get out of our head to get into our body, which I know can be scary in moments or sometimes, or how do you even check in with your body? What does that mean? And a body check-in is just stopping and letting yourself slow down and letting yourself notice anything that's happening in your body. It could be on a physical level. Are your shoulders up? Are they down? Are your legs crossed? Are the soles of your feet on the floor? You can also notice any sensations. Are there any sensations in your body? Heat, 
colds, butterflies, movement, stillness. And you don't have to check in on all these levels. We're all different, right? Maybe you want to check in. Maybe sensation level makes sense to you. Maybe it doesn't. The next level is emotion. So what's the emotion that's present? There may be a few. Are you feeling really sleepy? Are you feeling really pissed that you have to deal with this part of life? Waiting for, are you still waiting for Prince or Princess Charming? One of my colleagues wrote a book, Prince Charming is not coming, right? <laughs> and or maybe they did and they're not that anymore. And we have to now be, our, we have to take care of ourselves, right? Or I feel really sad that I have to deal with this part of my life. Or so what's the emotion that's present? And are there different emotions that come up in different money situations? Or do you have one predominant money emotion where you're just angry all the time? Please know they're all normal. They're all welcome. It's all part of it, right? So I also, when I'm doing a check-in, after I check in with my emotions, I say, what's going on my breath? So is my breath up in my throat or is it down more in my chest? Or is it down more in my belly? And there's no wrong, right? It's just being curious. And then I always like to end a little body check-in with what is one little adjustment that I can make right now to help me feel more present or to feel okayness in my body. And so this may sound like meditation or checking in or grounding. And a lot of people have some kind of meditation practice at this point, right? This can be done five minutes. It can be done a full minute. It could be done before you're going to have a money conversation or during a money conversation in the heat of the moment or after as a debriefing. I was once in the car dealership and noticing I was starting to hyperventilate a little bit. And I was like, oh, excuse me, car salesman guy and husband, I'm going to the bathroom because it's a great place to do a body check-in. I did a body check-in and I was like, what's going on? Oh, I'm starting to hyperventilate. Okay, just notice it. Oh, my breath's going up. Okay, name the emotion. Oh, I'm feeling anxiety. Okay, let's sit with that a little. Just sit with that. Can you get your breath down a little bit more in your body? Can you just be with the anxiety? And then I asked myself, what does this remind me of? Oh, this reminds me of making fast money decisions. I hate that. Mm -hmm. Years ago, right? Yeah, sure. Because years later, I had to buy a house in 36 hours. And I thought that was the greatest thing. <laughs> and I led the way. <laughs> oh, my God. My husband, we reversed roles. But so, you know, just to complete that, then I, then I finished that little body check-in with, Okay, I'm a little more calm now. Now what's next? Oh, now I'm going to walk out. I'm going to ask my husband to have a money date in the middle of the car dealership. Sat down and just asked the money date questions that we made up on the spot. Do we have the cash flow for this? Is this car, was it an electric car, our first one 10 years ago? Is it in alignment with our values? Yes. Is this going to your longer term goal of buying a home? No. So we just had a little money date and we made the best decision we could. And then we left and I did a debriefing after. How did that go? Was that a good decision? Are we enjoying the car? Was it a good value? Just right. So a body check-in, the first step of it is just slowing yourself down in all of these money moments. It could be when you're online shopping. You might remember, oh, body check-in. I might need <laughs> to give myself a little. I need I to need give myself. Yeah, what? Yeah, I can I see need, I need a pop-up on Amazon that says body check-in. Totally. <laughs> Totally. Wouldn't that be great? Body check-in, set the timer for two hours, give yourself a timeout, or I give myself a 24-hour. I, I put the tab over, and I think about it. Do I really want that? Whatever it is, when I come back to it. 
So body check-ins are, they're multi-levels. It's a practice. It's not one and done. And it's one of these little tools that when actually, it seems simple when you actually practice it, it's pretty profound. And so this is the first thing that I do suggest everyone does, especially women in hard times or going through a big transition. This will be hard. There were times where I was doing this many times a day, body check-in. And sometimes I would remember to do it before I was going to make a money purchase or before I was going to have the money conversation. Sometimes I would forget and remember in the heat of the moment. Other times I would do it afterwards and I'd be like, well, how did that go? What would I do differently? That car buying story, then a few years later, I went to buy a car, another car and it was so much easier and I was so much more calm and I walked in and out and I did it by myself. So the body check-in is just the first way to slow yourself down and to bring some mindfulness to what's going on to help you to start to understand what are the money emotions that are coming up for you. And then this all just leads to more understanding of what your money story is and your patterns and your habits and why you do what you do and what feels good and what doesn't feel good and what patterns you want to get rid of and so on. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Wait, that's me. I know I have a lot of podcast episodes for you to get through, and it can be really, really overwhelming to try and figure out where to start or to comb through which ones might be uh, appropriate for you, whether you're trying to decide whether to stay or go, or you're already on the other side of the divorce process. Like, how do you know what to listen to? I have solved the problem for you. All you have to do is go to kateanthony.com slash playlist answer a few short questions, and I will send you a curated list of podcast episodes to best support you as you navigate these tricky waters. I'll also help you identify where you currently stand on this journey and what's ahead with resources to help you move through this process with knowledge and grace. So all you need to do is go to kateanthony.com slash playlist, answer a few short questions, and you will have your curated list of podcast episodes that will support you wherever you are in your journey. And now back to our show. In terms of money story, right? I want to look at it from two angles and I don't, is that there's, there are a lot of women listening to this, right? Who are suffering from financial abuse or various forms of abuse, but financial abuse is usually woven into any form of abuse. Your money story, which is something that I feel that taking ownership of can be really empowering. And then, and I want to talk, I want you to explain what that is to people who don't know, but then there's also like having been a victim around money, right? Like a legitimate victim, right? Which is and how do we re reconnect with this relationship that has been used as a tool of abuse? Because I think I don't want to say I don't want to bypass any of the very real trauma that some people actually have around money, because sometimes it's a story and sometimes it's like, oh, no, that's actually that's real. Anyway, do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm asking? Okay. I'm not yes. clear what I'm asking, but I... Yeah. yeah, so let me start to answer it and please jump in. Okay, so a few things. One, money story is really our strengths, our challenges around money, our money beliefs, our money habits. They form, they begin in our childhood and they're formed based on certainly the environment we grow up in, economic status, of the family, religion, spirituality, 
all of that, right? How our parents did money, but then there's our personality or what I call Enneagram type. And that plays a big role too. Early on, our financial identities are formed and they're not set in stone, but there's a lot of things that do happen as kids, as teenagers, as 20-somethings, and then obviously at different points in our adult lives as well. I always tell more of a lighter story of when I was younger, I have I'm one of three siblings, and I was given the financial identity of the spender really early on, where my siblings were more the savers. And it was like in the family, even though my dad was more of a spender, it's better to be a saver in the family. And I just had tons of wants and desires. Just I wanted to buy my mom a ring at the school fair or candy. I, I, I liked a lot. Of, I wanted things. And that had this negative connotation that like something's wrong because I have desires or I want things. And so that was something that I had to unravel as I got older. Is this just a bad thing? No, I, you don't have to, you can be a spender and not overspend. You can be a spender and also learn how to be a saver. So that's a lighter way, a little bit to talk about financial identity, a deeper way. Here's another layer of it. So in my book, there's that came out my, the art of my first art of money book, which came out in 2016, there's a chapter called it's about money and it's not about money. So it's about money because what we already talked about, we were not given a financial education from grade school on up. We were not given an emotional literacy education from grade school on up, right? So there are lots of things we did not learn that we're learning as adults. So that's where it is about money. Where it's not about money are these deeper themes that come up around power and stability and safety and security and enoughness and value and self-worth and so on, right? And so sometimes there is direct trauma around money growing up or even as adults and in in marriages, as you talked about with financial abuse, there's direct traumas there, right? Money's being used as a weapon. That's how it's being used. It's being used to control and to have power over. And there's a spectrum of that, but the extreme is financial abuse and, right? I had, a, I had a milder version of that with my father where he used money as control. He definitely did. And I write about it in the book. And that was, as I was writing that book, it was, wow, I thought I, I've been in therapy for a long time. <laughs> but even, <laughs> as adult, and even as a financial therapist, I'm still going to be doing my work. And I really right. got more clarity on growing up in a middle class family. There was a lot of generosity, but then there was a lot of control right? There's a lot of conditions that weren't directly spoken to until it was too late. And then suddenly I was left with no money and I was traveling somewhere. And then all of a sudden, so I know, and then I know that can happen with a spouse as well. So I was in Europe and you would think, wow, that's very privileged. And it was my, my, my junior year. And my father didn't like that. I went away for the weekend with friends to another country and he stopped sending me money without discussing it. I was just left there. And on some hand it was like, this sucks when this is This totally sucks and I don't speak the language and I can't, I'm in school here. And that was rough and it taught me some really hard lessons. And yeah, I made declarations as a young girl of I'm never going to rely on a man for money and I'm never going to duplicate that pattern. But someone else in my situation would have just gone into a marriage and done the same thing, been in a relationship with someone just like their father and continued that. So I know I'm touching on all of this and telling a little bit of personal story how do we unravel that is these are the hard parts of our relationship to money and ourselves 
that at some point we're directly faced with and we need to walk away and we need to leave those relationships. And I know that's not easy and that's terrifying. And I'm not saying, oh, it's so easy to walk away, especially if you have kids. And I'm not an expert on financial abuse. And so I want to just say that. And it's so important to be working with a therapist on this. But I, for years, have had women come to me in marriages that aren't safe, aren't working, and they want to leave. Or after divorce, they come to me and they say, how do we begin again? And how we begin again is my entire methodology. It's teaching people how to set up a relationship with money that can feel healthy and safe again. How do you build your, and how do you claim your value and your self-worth and learn how to create boundaries? How do you honor the old parts in that marriage or the younger parts that didn't know how to stand up for themselves? Mm -hmm. Right. How do you, there's a lot, there's a lot of therapy work. There's a lot lot of therapy work and my, my work is part therapy, right? I'm trained as a therapist. And so that's woven in there. It honors the deeper layers that this is not easy. This is hard. We're looking at younger parts or old parts and we're having to parent them. We're having to adult ourselves, right? We're having to be parents to ourselves and go ahead. No, I was just, I was going to say in, in your methodology, I think th- there are three yes. distinct sort of parts to it. And the yes. first part is the healing, right? The, the first that- part is the healing. And it doesn't mean you're done with the money healing one day and you move on to money practices. It's not right. right. Cause as right. I said, never, never uh-huh. new things. every year we're, I'm fine tuning everyone. We're, but we, there's a lot of money healing tools that you can learn. So the body check-in is one of them, which just being able to slow down and pause and check in with yourself. And that that may even be scary. You may need to practice that over and over. Every time you're going to have a new money conversation with someone safe, right? And first you have to even identify what does it even mean to feel safety in my body? Where do I even find that? I haven't felt that in a long time. That's what somatic therapy and trauma somatic therapy is all about is helping you find safety in your body. So yeah, some people even start my my work and then they go off to a somatic therapist and then come back in after they've done a little bit more work there. And a lot of people come in with doing therapy or doing tools, but the beginning, yes, is more of that money healing work, learning tools to understand what are the set of emotions that come up for you? What is more of your money story what's still stuck in the past that you need to go and collect and pick up and honor the younger selves and the younger parts and bring them forward. And where does forgiveness need to happen? Not for another person who's caused you abuse, but maybe for yourself and staying. Or I know that's a big statement and that could take a long time to get to that place, but I've had to forgive myself for staying in unhealthy relationships when I was younger, certainly even into my thirties. So there's a lot of therapy work, right? The money healing work, but I don't want you to stop there. I need you to move forward into a lot of the practical parts and two thirds of my method is the practical, right? So when you move into the money practices, this is where you can start to set up a self-care practice for yourself. And some people need to really moderate. It's called titration in the somatic therapy world. Have you heard that term titration, just slowing down? taking things in bite-sized chunks. If you've had some trauma 
from big to small, you're anywhere on that spectrum of trauma, then you may need to even titrate how much money healing work you do. And you may need to do a little of it or some of it and then move on to let's set up a self-care practice around money. So money, that's the money dates where they come in. Some people schedule them. Some people do them more spontaneously or they schedule it first until it becomes more of a habit, right? And they get the grooves going. It could be five minutes a day. It could be 15 minutes every few days. And that's where in my books and everywhere, free blogs and podcasts, I'm always giving examples of how we talked about it a little bit. Light your candles, get out your oils, get out your chocolate or whatever your version is, and then look at your to-do list. It will always be long. You'll always be adding to it. And maybe you do five minutes or 15 minutes at a time. You make that one phone call. Or a lot of people need a buddy now. They need a girlfriend or they, you know, they just need a girlfriend someone they feel safe with that they can sit down and say, I'm going to do some money work. Will you do some money work or let's meet at a cafe and do our bookkeeping side by side each other. I've heard, you know, I've heard so many people buddy up in my programs or just with my books and they just buddy up and they start doing some money work together. So all of this stuff can be scary and it does. And so that's where I'm like back to the body check-in. If you need to do a little body check-in before your money date or during your money date and journal about it or go pause and put on some music and go dance it out or go for a walk in nature and come back and then look at your money date list and take one more step, right? So there's a lot in the money practices, everything from the money dates to, yes, I want you to know your numbers. And that is a scary step. (laughs) That took me, go ahead. No, it is a scary step. It's a very scary step. I think it's one of the most powerful things that I've done is keeping my numbers every day. And it's incredibly powerful and like, like seismically shifting. And it's right. Like it's an, it's a weird energetic thing. You wouldn't think that every single day, every morning getting up and like putting what you spent yesterday in a Excel spreadsheet or whatever, however you do it would be as seismically shifting as it is. It was for me as well. And so for someone who's going through a hard time and they're like, I can't even do the body check-in yet. I want to just do some tracking and learn numbers. Then that's where you craft this your own way. I, yes, I designed my financial therapy method in a certain way, but if you need to jump around or your, if your mind or body or intuition is telling you, I need to know those numbers because I'm terrified, then go get a bookkeeping trainer. My husband one day just taught himself mint or he can teach himself. Those. I can't. I needed someone to hold my hand for six months and I needed tissue breaks and chocolate breaks. And I know that's being dramatic, but it was so Nick for me. They said even learning it. But once I learned it, it was as though the sea parted really like it was like it was incredible because I felt empowered. I felt like I have clarity. Oh my God, I, I know what the numbers are. I can't play around in my mind. Even if they're, I'm, having, they're, I'm having a dip, I'm seeing it clearly. It brought so much empowerment, so much clarity to me, so much more calm. So yeah, if you need one huge empowering step, then get yourself a bookkeeping trainer, someone who not just knows the bookkeeping system, but is a good teacher and a kind and generous teacher who can slowly teach you. And most systems, even if it's a spreadsheet, it takes six months to a year before you feel confident, I got this. 
And so there's a learning curve that's hard as adults to learn something new. It's hard to learn something in a transition when there's a lot of grief and a lot of other emotions. So go slow and get someone to literally hold your hand while you're learning a bookkeeping system. Yeah. And yeah. I like that you, first of all, I remember working with a bookkeeper once and she was so mean to me and she would, and she like, I, Look, I, you talk a lot about money shame and I had so much money shame that I carried forward from my childhood, like gener I think intergenerational money shame. And I carry so much of it that having the person that I hired to help me get clarity and organization so that I could clear some of that shame actually shame me was like, <laughs> oh my God, it was so damaging. And so well, that's another yeah. form of financial abuse. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Right? So that I and I've never thought of it in that way. But there's a lot of financial professionals that just simply did not have a training that on money psychology, they did not have training that money is emotional for most of us, that 90% of our money decisions are based on our emotions. So a lot of folks, old school, it's changing financial planners, accountants, bookkeepers. It's purely black and white, cut and dry, just the numbers. And they're, they're like, it's so easy for them. It's second nature for them. So they don't understand how anyone else can't do this. But most of us, it's not that way. It's not that way. So it's so important to find a financial player, a financial person on your support team, financial professional who you feel safe with. Now, it doesn't, that's a big word. So maybe that you feel comfortable enough with and they're clients, and they understand the money psychology side of things, right? Enough that they can be a kind, gentle teacher to you as well and not shame you, right? And not, so, and not put their stuff on you. Like, but not all bookkeepers are good trainers and not all financial coaches. But so that's so important when you're interviewing someone. There's a whole chapter in my book of what are the different roles and questions to ask them. And one of the questions is, do you feel comfortable enough? It's something like that. You may not feel safe enough because that's something, it's like a muscle that you're learning when you have so much shame, which so, so many people do, right? And I did as well. I call it like this cloak where we feel I'm not okay. I'm not good enough. Everyone else learned about money, but me, I'm stupid around money. I know I'm smart, but I'm not in here. And yes, it. Our, I didn't even mention this in the money story. Our grandparents and great grand their stories and where they came from, and are they immigrants and all all of that? Were they in war? All of it plays into our money story. And so, money shame is usually the first layer for so many of us, and it's one of the biggest reasons why I would always teach groups, even if it was small groups of ten people from the beginning. I do private work too, but I have much preferred to do group work from small to large because we get into a room and pretty quickly we start to unshame. We realize we're not alone. We realize, oh, that person, wow, they come from a different background as me, but we do the same things around money. We, or wow, they remind me of my mom so much or my sister. So not only do we unshame with ourselves, we can grow compassion for other people's money stories as well and understand them better. So yes, yeah, just to highlight that, I've never really attributed financial abuse in this way. Yes, it's scary to go to a financial planner. Yes, 
There's a lot to learn. <laughs> and we may sit in the office and be like, say that again. But if you can feel connected enough with yourself to do a body check-in, whether you tell them I'm doing a body check-in, whether you take a moment for it, go into the bathroom and come back and ask some new questions each time and feel somewhat comfortable and you're growing your financial literacy as you go, but you definitely do not want to be working with someone who is nasty, who's unkind, who's telling you, you should already know this, or who's saying, I already told you, who's not a good teacher and all that, right? And so for me, that is old school and that is financial abuse. And that's like old traditional stuff of there's one way, there's a right way, instead of, wow, this is, there's multi-layers. It's so emotional and this brings up so many deeper stuff. So everyone on my referral list or anyone, there's so many people now who are really realizing Dear financial planner colleagues are like, I think I need to go get my master's in counseling or psychology right now because I'm doing therapy. When they're they're open, Mm -hmm. they really see what's going on for all of us. Yeah. And they start to, I find this a lot with my work with divorce attorneys, right? They're thrilled to have a divorce coach like like me or anyone else to work with their clients because they're like, I didn't go to school for this. I'm not a coach. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I can't do this, but like you should have that. (laughs) And weaving these networks, I think is incredibly important and acknowledging the need. Yeah. And that's where we need to be tag teaming with each other. So if I need to dinner, can bring a financial therapist into the room or you can bring, you bring in, not necessarily directly in the room, but I, I had a financial planner colleague who was one of the first people to bring therapists into his meetings years ago, a few decades mm. ago. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's amazing. We need to, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So Barry, you have your book, The Art of Money, which I, I have. Two books. Two books. Two books. Yeah. My, the Art of Money, a life-changing guide to financial happiness. That's the first one that came out in 2016. That's the one with my full methodology, stories of my own and people in the community and all the tools and practices. My second book, The Art of Money Workbook, just came out last year, and it's about 200 pages of journaling questions. So, and then you have The Art of Money, you have the program, your online program, which is a year-long program Yes, that takes you through the methodology. Four months of money healing, four months of money practices, four months of money maps. You get me in office hours once a month, and then there's weekly co-working. So I have a group of alumni guides who've been in the community for years, and every Saturday morning they host a co-working session because, as we were talking about earlier, we need a buddy or we need a little group to be doing our bookkeeping or filing those tax forms, filling out those tax forms. Uh-huh. So yeah, that's my year-long program that I've been doing in that format for 11 years now. I used to teach it in really small groups of like six weeks, and then at some point I realized this needs a year, but it really needs a year to learn the whole foundation and then you practice it for the rest of your life. But it it needs a full year to go through it all and learn it all. Yeah. Amazing. It's amazing. And your website is just full of resources, your blog posts and articles. Like you've just, you are an absolute wealth of so much information. So I very much encourage everybody to check out Barry's website at barrytesler.com. And any, where else can people find you? They can find me on Instagram and mm-hmm. Facebook. And I just got on LinkedIn two months ago. Finally. <laughs> I just, I'm on there. I People do. message me all the time. I'm like, you, what? No. I'm 
I know I actually am responding to people. I'm in that phase that beginning. I'm still, I'm responding to people. So you want to come actually send me a message and I'll respond, come over there. And I respond on Instagram to private message, Facebook. I do not respond <laughs> to the private messages and it just depends on how busy I am in full and all that. But I got on LinkedIn because last year I started a four month mentor program for other coaches and therapists and financial professionals so that they can have a safe and brave stuff to do their own money work and get savvier with business models and also start bringing all the money tools into their own practices for their clients. So that's something I started doing last year too. And so I thought I'd get on LinkedIn for that. Yeah. That sounds great. <laughs> that sounds great. I love it. Barry, any final sort of words of encouragement, wisdom, compassion for our audience today? Yeah, please know you're not alone. There are many of us, middle age and up, that are learning about money for the very first time or taking on money. I just saw another stat of millennials. I, uh, this is a few years ago. Millennials were still abdicating responsibility, you know, of their relationship to money over to spouses, more in he heterosexual relationships, but hetero relationships, but still. So, okay. I know I just got strong there. Let me come back to just that this is, you know, so whether you're in a relationship, whether you're thinking about separating, whether you have separated, you can create a healthy relationship and a savvy relationship to money on your own terms, in your own way. Learn a bookkeeping system that works for you. Do it in your own creative way if you need that. There's a lot of support people out there that really get the deeper emotions and the deeper layers of power and control and safety and all that. Yeah. And please start small. As Kate said, I have tons of free stuff. So please enjoy my podcast and blog or my books and start with the body check-ins and start with learning a bookkeeping system and setting up money dates and go from there. And go from there and add a new person to your financial support team. And if you have any questions about anything that we talked about, always feel free to send a note to my team as well behind the scenes. And my team and I will answer it and give you some more, give you some support and some additional resources. Barry, thank you so much. This has been really, it's been very helpful and enlightening. And for me, very expansive, just a different way to look at all of this because it always feels so rigid and hard and, and that this is just, oh, wow, it doesn't have to be that way at all. Good, good. So we've yeah. given it a little more breath, Absolutely. a little more attention. Yeah, yeah, a Absolutely. little more hope in here. Okay. Mm -hmm. thank Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's different every time I'm interviewed. I really appreciate your questions. I know I talked a lot. So that's why you're here. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much, Barry. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.